Welcome one and all to another edition of the Dawson D Show and what a treat we have in store for you today. Our guest today first arrived on our TV screens 20 years ago in the first season of Australian Idol. Since then, he's become a musical theatre megastar starring in Grease, Hairspray, Jesus Christ Superstar, Wicked, Ghost and currently and Juliet amongst many others. He's a singer, actor, TV host, author and loved across the country. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Rob Mills. We were absolutely pumped to sit down with Millsy and reflect on his amazing career to date and go beyond the surface level. And boy, was this interview fun. From his musical influences to the early memories of being the entertainer amongst his friends, Millsy shares the inspirations of his career and the key moments to get to where he is today. He told some of the all-time great stories of things going wrong on stage, which I don't want to spoil for you just yet, but trust me, it's an absolute pisser. Plus, we got to hear about the magic behind TV, from choreographing sex scenes and having intimacy coaches to hosting late-night quiz shows, our eyes were certainly opened. But beyond all of that, we got to hear the absolute passion Rob has for his craft and the willingness to continually give back. It's no surprise to see the success he's had with his talent mixed in with the great bloke that he is. Now remember guys to subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel where you can watch the full interview too. And when you're done with this one, check out our episodes with other legends of music and theatre like Greg Page, Nathan Foley, Amy Shepard, Lockie Gill, Yolanda Charles and Ryan Hutton. Alright, strap yourselves in for this one, you're going to absolutely love it. So here he is, the one, the only, Rob Mills. Twenty years since the infamous Australian Idol season one, it has been, and I am so excited to sit across from a guy who I said to you off air, Dos. I uh, actually it's the first time I ever felt starstruck as an as an eight year old. Rob's not sure where he's taking this, but uh, it's, <laughs> but let's welcome him in, the great Rob Mills. Welcome to the Dos and D Show. Thanks for having me, boys. Oh. Um, Inf- why, why was it infamous? Oh, not infamous. No, famous. <laughs> famous. <laughs> famous. Okay. Yeah, that, that's the opposite, isn't it? I was, like, what, I was like, what happened in that year? Courtney Act hit our screens. Courtney Act. Yeah, it was kind of um, it was, it was kind of risque for for Australia back in the day. True. Guy Sebastian, the guy with the fro, won Australian Idol, and Shadow Noel, the country boy, came second, and Rob Mills came came fifth. I suppose there's some infamous moments. Dico, Dico. having a go at Paul Lenny with the gold dress. Yeah. Oh, yes. Cosima pulling out with nodules. Yeah. Well, can, can I just ask, how, yeah. how planned was that? Because, I, I, like, not planned, but I always think back to that moment when Cosmo pulled out. No, mate, all Cause just... It, but it seemed very interesting timing when she made the announcement. It was just all incredible kind of... Um, television. Television, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I can say right now, no one really knew what they were doing with the producers. It was mm. the very first year for them, the first year for the network. It had only just been done once before in America. I think Kelly Clarkson won the first year in America the year before. So it was all very, very brand new. And I don't think anyone really knew what we were sort of doing. They sort of knew they needed some storylines for each person and um, story arcs they were hoping for, but it's that's up to the producers to try and find those yeah. storylines as you, as mm. you go. Um, so the customer thing, I think she just burnt out. Yeah, just had never she was never really a, a singer. An incredible voice, but mm. I, I mean a professional singer, meaning that she had never done lots of gigs in a row. Yeah, um, and I think just all the extra publicity stuff we were doing and all the extra talking and mm. I think it just took its toll. Yeah. But yeah, still an inc- incredible voice. I just heard, caught up with my mate Shannon last week, Nolsey, love Nolsey, <laughs> and he said he's going to do a duet with Cosmo on his new album. I don't know if I'm, not, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but that's, uh, <laughs> sorry Shannon, that's a... Uh, Little oh. exclusive. Exclusive, I, yeah. I, I want D to, uh, he, I only just heard this story for the first time. I want you to share oh. it. No, 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 you it's have to. Good. Yeah. I'm ready, no, I'm ready, I, I'm ready. I, think, I think it's quite funny because... <laughs> You're a young kid and you're watching TV and we come from musical backgrounds and wanted to become probably musicians and whatnot, but can just share the story. I think it's funny. 
Well, I can't believe, like, looking back, that it did take Australia by storm. I remember being at school, primary school, and literally every kid was, I remember right before the final, there was guys walking around with petitions saying, who, who are you voting for? Like, <laughs> Shannon or Guy? And I just remember, it must have been school holidays one year, we're up at our holiday house in the country, and we're watching Australian Idol as a family, which is rare, because we never did that as a family. We didn't watch anything, but Australian Idol must have captivated us. Australian Idol and Blue Healers, the only two. <laughs> yeah. all, all Saints was out. All, 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 all Saints, all Saints yeah. really. But anyway, I had to, I asked mum, I said, look, I really want to vote for Rob. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. You were my favourite. It's, it's too late. It's too late. He's already out. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, look, I really want to vote for him. Can, you know, can I please make the call? She's like, yeah, sure. So anyway, I remember just dialing the number and I was shitting myself. I don't know why. It made me genuinely nervous as an eight-year-old. And then, <laughs> and then the automatic voice comes in. Hey, I can't remember what it was, but hey, it's Millsy here. Thank you for voting, blah, blah, blah. And I thought I was talking to him. And so <laughs> yeah, I thought yeah. I was talking to you and my heart dropped because I absolutely shit myself. Like I've got a massive, like, this is my idol, literally. Like yeah. this is a guy that I'm voting for and I'm like talking back to this recording and then it kind of just hung up prematurely. I'm like, all right, bye. Anyway, mate, that's a bit just, rude, Millsy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there you go, mate. You got to vote for me. I've got a few because uh, actually my sisters and I used to, we wrote the number down yeah. and we used to get up in the middle of the night and make secret oh, when, calls. When mum and dad really? didn't know. You had, to, you, you had to pay for it back yeah, in those yeah. days. Yeah. It was 55 cents or yeah. something. Yeah. Like that. So we used to make some secret votes. Oh. So, uh, yeah. Until your mum and dad uh, got the phone bill later on. <laughs> like, um, guys, yeah. <laughs> what is this? Oh, well, they were fans of yours yeah. too, so no stress. So you're enjoying it. Oh, you had a couple of days off. You've had a big, a big few months. I mean, you just yeah. finished the races. How was that? Uh, races was great. Last the last one for Channel Ten, I think it's going to move over to Channel Nine. But I've been working on the races the last sort of four years, just doing the fashions on the field. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy just dressing up in a suit, having a good chat with people. Um, it's nice to get a, get in uh, and amongst the the birdcage. But yeah, there's a. I think that'll be the last one for me for a while. But yeah, I've really enjoyed just flexing that muscle. The hosting muscle is really fun for me. Did you get a chance to meet Matt Damon? I saw he was there one of the days. I was instructed by my mate Lauren Phillips, who they're friends with, to to not put a microphone <laughs> in his face. Oh, <laughs> I was like, Lauren, we were all mates. And she's like, yeah, well, he's he's not doing an inter- interviews today. So he Bugger. was he was there hanging out with a few friends of mine. But uh, no, uh, was, was, was You're dog- just hiding the microphone yeah, behind yeah, your back. Like, I was just like, what if I put it in my jacket? And I'm like, I'm not. Holding it. <laughs> yeah. I have to ask Millsy, how many tips did you get across the carnival and how many times did you get sucked into just kind of pulling the phone out and, you know? I had a few, I had a few tips from the, the trainers <laughs> and the jockeys and uh, not one of them got up. They never <laughs> Yeah. They cup, never cup, cup week, they never get up. But my partner uh, has picked the Melbourne Cup winner three years in a row. Wow. So we usually put what? like, I'm not a, we're not big bet, bettors, no. but like $20 each way kind of thing, yeah. like 40 bucks. Like, yeah. I think the most I spent on a day was like, Hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars. Yeah, like that's that's a lot. I was like, oh, that's a lot of money. That's a lot for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. me too. Yeah, I'm um, not a not a big punter. I've got mates that yeah punt heavy. They're like, oh, I had a really good weekend. I go, great. But what about the six months before <laughs> exactly. that? Exactly. Right. That's what I always say to mates that I don't know if you've got this with the group of your mates, but you often get like even if it's the footiest screenshot of a multi that comes through. Yeah. Look, boys, look what what happened. I got up. I've won five hundred bucks. And my first thought is. How much money have you spent across the whole footy season? You yeah, know, yeah. with other multis, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, a lot, a lot of lost money. Oh, hundred percent. Well, love a, love a two dollar multi though. Me too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. When footy season comes around, yeah, we we often enjoy the the two dollar multis. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to hear a little bit of your backstory too across this podcast, but yep. I just want to just before we move too far past Australian Idol, I know you've probably spoken about this for twenty years, but the longevity of that season in particular and. I don't I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but nowadays when you go on a show like Australian Idol, call it Australian Idol or The Voice or X Factor, Talent or yeah, 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 all those shows. Now it seemed to be back then was a bit more of a ticket through to 
the next kind of chapter of your life, whether it be actually in the music industry or you know, musical theatre or whatever it may Radio, be. Radio, I think, for a lot of, Radio. A lot of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whereas now it seems to not have that factor about it. Like you win a show or you, you do well in a show doesn't guarantee you anything. Why do you think the longevity for so many of you guys in that original season and probably season two and three too, Yeah, why do you think that was the case? Oh, mate, we were before streaming services, before social media, before we've had other forms of entertainment. So we get most of our entertainment these days on our phone or our iPads or watching streaming services or, um, dare I say, Instagram or YouTube or uh, OnlyFans for some people. That's all they watch. Um, <laughs> he looked right at me then. Yeah. We, definitely, we definitely weren't talking about that off air. Um, but I think... We were a small country with four channels, you know, True. two, seven, nine, ten, oh, SBS, SBS sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, 31. So that's probably why. Like we were 2003, they were still sitting around the, the TV together as a family and watching television shows. Now we're, we're very unlikely to watch a show at the same time as your friends. Uh, I do like the shows that come out at the moment, uh, still in a weekly basis. So therefore, there still is that water cooler chat the next day. Yeah. I say water cooler, but you know what I mean. Like yes. yeah. you catch yeah. up with your friends, you're like, oh, I've seen the new episode of whatever it is. That was more prevalent back in 2003. So I think that's that's why the phenomenon existed. But I think we've just realised it's just an, and sadly, it's a it's an entertainment show. It's mm. a what I think I signed up for was a chance for a record deal, and a record deal is huge as a kid, like a 21 year old, and I can get a record contract. Like that is beyond my wildest dreams as a kid who grew up singing in bands and. Um, change schools just to do music and drama. I was like, this is this is like the golden ticket. And I think these days maybe it's it's different because I don't know, are they just handing out record deals? I don't I don't I don't I don't know. Maybe I I think it's more to do with the fact that it's we get our entertainment from other things. And also I don't think the industry afterwards supports us. We've learned that that doesn't support us anymore. Yeah. Radio stations are I'm gonna give them a whack. They're to blame for this. We have a a contract, there is like a legislation that's in the government that we have to play a certain amount of Australian music on Australian radio and Australian television throughout the year, except Australian radio stations will play it from midnight till six in the morning. Oh. So when we're all asleep, that's when they play the quota of Australian music, which okay. I think is so... That's really wrong. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, it's disgusting. Um, and look, for nine years, we didn't even have an arts council. So finally, we have a government who's actually reinstated an arts council uh, Tony Burke is doing a great job as arts minister. So those sort of changes are, are, are happening fi finally. Um, and I'm hoping more radio stations start playing more Aussie music and supporting these sort of artists, whether it's, you know, the people that are coming through these entertainment shows like The Voice or X Factor Australia's Got Talent or Back with Australian Idol now. I think it's up to the industry itself to keep promoting itself. Yeah. Like these kids, they're not saying I want to be a just a pop star I, I want to I've got something to prove I've got something to offer the the industry and whether it's the platform of a television show or whatever it is everyone's just trying to try trying to make it so I think it's up to the the industry itself to to help itself yeah so were you always the you wanted music you wanted that to be career as a as a, as a young person so you're on idol at 21 yeah before you went on idol was school you, you mentioned you moved school to, to do more whether it was theater or, or, or singing or was that always the passion yeah, I think so. I mean, I realised I don't think school was for me. I didn't love reading books. It was strange because I was pretty. I was in the top maths, top English, and then, but I just didn't really love it. I think looking back with the therapy that I've done, I probably fell out of love with everything just because my parents split up around year seven, and I was like, ah, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point in life? Yeah. Like, but 
you know, on the surface, like everything's fine. But yeah. like, I was probably like, oh, I probably wasn't that, wasn't coping very well. But I knew that I always loved entertaining. So I think the reason yeah, I changed schools was, yeah, get into drama, get into music, try and do that. Um, I got a D plus my singing exam in year 12. <laughs> what? D plus? What? Because my work ethic was dreadful. <laughs> like I loved, oh. so I had like ter yeah. terrible work ethic. I still just didn't really care enough. Um, it wasn't until years later that I was like, oh, I really, I really care. Actually, you're pretty good at this. I mean, the, I think everyone who is good at something has an initial kind of talent for it. But then it's the work that you put in. Mm, yeah. Dare I say it's the, you know, you only get out what you put in. And I think for me, I just didn't really have that work ethic for so many years. Um, then working in pubs, th Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights, I was doing like, yeah, three or four gigs a week. I was like, oh, that's a really good work ethic to, to sort of get into. And then uh, years later, I would get into musical theatre. Yeah. And that's like the ultimate work ethic. It's eight shows a week. Well, the pub, that's a hard grind. The pub grind, isn't it? Like, yeah. yeah mate, doing singing, the pub scene. Singing yeah. 30 songs a night in yeah. smoky yeah. pubs back then. Yeah. That's when you can still smoke cigarettes <laughs> in, in pubs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when I, I think when I got into Idol, after singing like, you know, probably I've sung 100 songs in a week. And then they go, so it's just one song this week. <laughs> and the song goes for a minute and a half. I was like, what? A minute, I have to sing a minute and a half. I was like, I can do that. I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And people are like, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm like, what? Also, I'd never been on a plane before. Uh, I went on Idol. So that was the very first time I went on a plane. Oh, okay. Caravan trips and stuff yeah. Were, yeah. were the norm for my family back in Jeez, the day. Jeez, you must have been living the dream. Mate, absolutely. Getting on a plane. Getting, you on, a, getting on a plane. And also, as I said, having to sing one song a week, I was like, so I can just I could probably just have a couple of beers there because I <laughs> yeah. I was in my yeah. on my P's and I always had all the, the the gear so I had all the speakers and the amps and stuff so so I'd take all that stuff with me on during the gig so I was like I have no responsibility other than to sing one song this week I'm getting shit first <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because I'd spent I'd spent my whole sort of teens eighteen to to twenty one at that stage being really responsible yeah yeah. Because oh, well, you had that idea of the work ethic. I need to do it. Yeah, yeah. you just got to do it. Yeah. And you got to turn up in the the morning on the Monday and go to work in the factory or wherever I was working, mowing lawns or changing signs at the airport. I was wow. many, many weird jobs. But what, what what is the pathway or what was your plan back then to get to no your plan. ultimate? Yeah, and no, no, so, no plan, no goal. So just, it's just, just show up, show up, show up, hope. Yep. Uh, just keep just keep doing the gig. Just just mm. entertaining the folks and. Um, having a good time. So if you're if you're somebody listening now that's in that eight that younger age bracket, sixteen or twenty five or whatever, it doesn't matter what age, I suppose, and mm. they want to break into the industry, how do you think in this day and age do you do that? Is it through TikTok and Instagram? Is it real? Is oh, it how oh. do you think you would have done it if you're twenty one in twenty twenty three? Practice makes perfect. I would just say practice. Do as many gigs as you possibly can. Go to see as many shows as you possibly can. Mm. Go and help out at as many gigs. If it's go and mix the sound for someone, go and hold a light, go and set up yeah. a stage, go and um, mm. make a stage at a theatre production, go and put your hand up for anything. If you want to be involved in the industry as a whole, whether it's an actor or a singer or a performer, go and do something that's that's part of it. Don't just wait for someone to come and give you the gig. Like put your hand up, go and find local theatre productions that you can get involved with. Go and um, go and busk, go, go and get yeah. your chops up, go and get your confidence up. I talk about this when I do workshops with kids. There's this thing that, the, the sort of stage fright that you get when you do a gig and you guys would know this when you first started doing your podcast I imagine like there's a there's a nervousness there's an energy that you that you have but the only way to work through that is just do the thing you, you can't get better at the thing if you don't do it mm -hmm. so and the only way to get through your fear or your um stage fright or whatever it is like you just got to do it more often 
So whether it's busking or whether it's just any chance that you get on a stage, just go and do it. Go and, for the stand-up comedian, it's go and do that type five that you've been working on. <laughs> yeah. You know, or you've just got to go into the fear. It's the only the only way through it. Um, it doesn't get it, and then it gets easier, but it just takes a lot of time. Whether it's yeah, learning songs on a guitar, like in that first six months, you're rubbish. It's so bad, I can't get my fingers. Fingers mm-hmm. bleed, yeah. 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 And then you're like, oh, my fingers are doing that thing now. I'm can I can do it while singing. This is weird. Okay, so but it just takes time. You just got to do yeah. the work. Um, and as far as the TikTok and reels and stuff, oh, mate, it's luck. There's so much luck yeah. still involved. Yeah. Like whether your song blows up or doesn't blow up. I would say I, it's not going to be on radio by the sounds of, like what I'm saying. Like start petitioning radio stations to get your songs on radio. But just play the songs that you like. I saw an interview last night with Troy Savan and he talked about writing this new album. And he's like, I just wanted to write songs that I wanted to write. Write songs that resonate with you. Don't try and write songs that you think will resonate with other people. Mm. Like if you are your most true and authentic self, I guarantee that's you'll find the other people that will resonate. They will resonate with. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and I think a key aspect of that too is I think of if, imagine if you were doing something with the goal to get someone else's attention or get their approval. You make it, but then you make it, and then you're not enjoying it while you're making it because you're actually not doing what you wanted to originally do. Yeah, because you're trying to do it for someone else. Exactly. Yeah. I want to quickly go back a little bit on what you said around you know as a kid or a young person or whatever age, and you just do the thing. Because I was at a barbecue the other day and we were talking about when typically, not typically, but a lot of families and when you're a young person you're, and you're at a certain school, lessons of certain instruments are put into place. So go and learn guitar. Yeah. So our parents both paid for us to do some guitar and some drums. And, and as a kid, I hated it. Yeah. Like, mm. But I look back now and there was three of us blokes at the barbecue. All of us are saying, I wish I just stuck <laughs> at it. Yeah. Like I just wish I did because like at the time you're learning the the chords and you're learning certain notes, but you're not, I want to learn it back in black. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I want to learn the good stuff. And then you'd throw in the towel. Like was part of that when you were younger, do you think a key element was the persistence you had to continue to work on your, on your craft? Um, I think I just like performing. I think it goes back to just, I like making people laugh. I like entertaining people. I had the same thing. Man. I wish I was a better guitarist, but I don't, I don't put the work in. I'm lazy. Yeah. I'm lazy. But when it comes to like doing the gig, doing the work, when I'm in the room, I give everything. Like absolutely everything. When it's, I've got an audition coming up, I will do everything in order to make sure that that audition is the best possible auditions because I have this fear of fucking up. Mm. So I don't want to fuck up in the room because then that's my integrity. Like that's 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 your reputation. If you do bad in the room, they're like, oh, he's dreadful in the room. Like yeah. I'm never going to get him back in for this. Even if I'm not right for it, or regularly, if I'm not right for something, I, I will not go in an audition because I'm like, that's, that's what's the point in that? But yeah, I, I have this fear of, of stuffing up. So I always put myself in positions where I know that I have to do well. Not because I want to do well, but because I don't want to, yeah, I don't want the gig to, to not be good. I don't, I don't want people not to enjoy themselves. Mm. But yeah, I wish I had the work ethic as a kid. I think, I, I, I think back to when I'm teaching workshops for kids, how do I incentivize the kids more? How do I make them want to enjoy this? Knowing that it's boring, the scales are boring, the doing this extra bit of work outside of your class, you know, the extra dance practice or the extra singing class. How do you incentivize it? It's hard in a world of like instant gratification and instant dopamine feeds of your phone on TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat, whatever kids are doing. How do you long form gratification? How do you, how do you make sure people enjoy that long form gratification? It's really hard. And I don't think anyone's cracked it yet. So psychologically wise, like Mm. I'm I'm not not a psychologist, (laughs) so I don't know, but 
All you can do is like tell them that it's going to be great. Like if in a year's time, you're going to be so much better, but you just don't, you never see the incremental changes. You just don't. No. Mm. We, we never, we never do. But the only way, to, as I said before, is just do the work. Just, you just keep doing it and then you get better. You get more confident and you do the thing. And before you know it, you're at a campfire, the, the guitar <laughs> comes out and you're a master. And the girls love you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> well, we, we always say that we preach. Oh, where we say preach, but we've got a little business on the side of this, which is in the podcasting. We do podcasts for other businesses, but mm. we always just preach consistency because that's for us. We made a deal to ourselves three and a half years ago that every Monday at 6am, a new episode of the Dos and D show comes out no matter what. And we say this for a lot of people, but we we went to England. We were incredibly sick with everything you could imagine. And we yep. lied down on our hotel beds just like I don't, I, when, when you always say that story I go why do we tell people that story uh, like, it's, well, it's, 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 it's showing it's, that and it was a crap yeah. episode and, and yeah. like you said like we we looked we looked back at our last episode we went all the way back to kind of the beginning and had to listen back and like our skin crawled we couldn't sit through it but yeah. the whole point was you don't notice it episode by episode but you do notice it when you go back 100 episodes or 50 or 150 but yeah. I'd love to know and we'd love asking our guests that are in the entertainment industry or music industry this who were your musical influences growing up or still to this day oh. who did you listen to or who did you try and emulate man i was a big fan of anything that sort of sat in my vocal range so and during the 90s 2000s there was a voice type that i loved emulating and that was anything that was like pearl jam or like yeah um Metallica or like that sort of Creed drawl or Matchbox Twenty, grungy kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything that was like, song she said, I've got a little song for you. With a girl, then I would, I'll yeah. go wherever you will go. Like all of that stuff. I was like, you sound just like that, that guy. You I'm do. Like, yeah. I'm like, okay, but then what they did is kind of ruin my voice for a while because not ruin it, but I just it didn't really find what my voice actually sounded like and just, mm. but I was like oh it sounds good everyone likes it when I do that yeah. I, I just liked singing as I said songs that resonated with me there's a there's a fun little thing that you can do when you get your top list of songs on Spotify it used to be on Apple on my iPod or whatever it said the the songs that you listen oh, to like, the most like, oh, rapped. like rapped yeah, yeah. you're wrapped, you're wrapped yeah. on Spotify so they're most listened to yeah. right Go back and look at the list and look at what the songs are about. And then you'll learn a lot more about who you are as a person subconsciously. Because right. you're listening to this song. These, mate, it's fucking weird. That is weird. Because you, a lot of the songs that I listened to as a kid, I was like, oh, they're real like personal affirmation kind of wanting wanting more or like uplifting, um, uplifting kind of songs. I was like, oh, cool. All right. I was, <laughs> yeah. you know. In my, you know, teens and 20s, like listening to these affirmation kind of songs or like upbeat, fun songs or like um, hopeless romantic songs. Like, <laughs> if only love could be like this. You know, like, <laughs> so I was like, okay, so you're a hopeless romantic who likes a bit of personal affirmation kind of stuff. So that's good. But yeah, I, I would highly recommend people go and do that. And actually, not just look at the songs, but like look at what they, the songs are about. And I think you'll learn a lot more about yeah. it. Who you are as a person. I think so. That's really interesting. You know what's crazy? Because I noticed this, like the now spot, because I've always been, when listening to iPod or Spotify, I like clicking shuffle. I know it drives you nuts, but. I love a shuffle. I always just click shuffle every time. I can't, I I don't like listening in order, but I notice that the algorithm now, that dirty word, as soon as you listen to a full song, call it, like say, say I listen to a full song and it's Billy Joel. Yep. The next five, it'll be, then it'll be like Elton John and then it'll be like. Like that, all those kind of same sounds. And yeah. if you listen to a rock song, then they're all rock. And if they're 
love songs and they're all love. So yeah, I they've, to, built, they've built that in 100%. They've they built it in, but I, I like the randomness. I'm, Me too. I love a, I'm pretty eclectic as in my music um, in music tastes. <laughs> I was just saying before. So are we actually. Yeah. yeah. Which is it's good. I think yeah. it's good to listen to all, yeah. all styles yeah. of music. You were talking about before about sitting around the campfire with a guitar. <laughs> Did you guys watch the Barbie movie and felt very seen when he starts playing Matchbox 20 Push? I, was I, like, I didn't no, see the movie, I felt very seen. but I saw <laughs> that clip. Yeah. Okay. He actually sounded all right too, right? He sounded great, but I was like, oh, I've done this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked at my partner. She looked, she looked at me and she's like, oh, no, this is you. It's, it's, you know, it's disappointing. My girlfriend, she when that movie came out, she was just pushing reels to me every day. And it's, it's, and it's Ken, it's Barbie. And I was really starting to resist. I'm like, you're making me not want to see this movie. And that conversation's died down, but now she'll listen to this and guess what's going to happen? It'll ramp right back up. So yeah, thanks for that you, movie. Have you, have you seen it? Seen no, it? I haven't. I haven't I mean, seen it's it. Really, it's, yeah. it's, it's really good. I it's, need to see it's it. really funny. Look, I think blokes need to learn to take the piss out of themselves. Yeah. They're taking the piss out of the most blokiest and <laughs> stupid version of ourselves. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's funny. Yeah. But if, if you are offended by it or you think it's silly, like it is silly. It's meant to be. Like yeah. that's that's the whole point of it. It's really good. I really liked it. Growing up, um, and I'll refer back to so a guest we had on probably a couple months ago. We had Nathan Foley, former High Five member. Yeah. And a key part of the interview which he touched on was growing up as a lover of music and then a lover of dance and then obviously uh, theatre, he was in a lot of theatre too growing up, was the bullying aspect that he faced before he, I think similar to you, moved schools and went mm. to a, a school that was more... Um, performing arts. Yeah, performing arts type school. Did you ever go through any type of bullying or did you feel not enough or like you couldn't be yourself at a certain time in your younger years because what you did wasn't classified as what Nathan said then is like, you know... I wasn't one of the guys. It was it was something that guys teased me for. Yeah, uh, I was a bit of a chameleon at school. Whether that's my, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I never really got bullied as as such as a kid. Maybe from a couple of the older kids, mainly because of other reasons like my my older brother. But anyway, that's that's <laughs> neither, neither here nor there. Um, but I, I I take my hat off to any kid like Nathan, um, who's like. This is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. Regardless of the bullying, I'm going to change schools. I'm going to do the thing because I love it. And I said this to the kids at this junior theatre festival up in Newcastle a couple of weeks ago. How great that you guys, are, you know, some of them are like 11 to 18, these kids are, right? And I'm like, you've already found your weirdos. Mm. Like, that's, the, that's mm. the best. Like, it, some, it, take, it took me into my, like, late 20s before I found my, my weirdos. I'm like, and I say weirdos meaning, like, the people that you – we're all weirdos, right? Yeah. But, the people that you actually love and that get the same thing that you get, the same joy that you get out of it. Like stuff these muggles. They don't, they don't get it. Like how great at your age, you've already worked it out. You found them here. And I That's think so true, yeah. for, for Nathan, how great that he's like, well, instead of like the bullying's going to come or whatever, but like instead of like shying away from it and, and not doing performing, imagine his life if he just didn't do that. He's an incredible career touring the world with, with high five and then his own solo career and music and gigs and stuff. He's an incredible performer, but my hat goes off to anyone who pushes through that adversity, and I think it's a it's a really brave and the best thing for you is to go well, stuff them. Like, what are they going to do? Like, singing and dancing is awesome. Like, yeah. it's so great. Like, it makes you feel good. It makes other people feel good. Like, what? How is this? A, how is this even a, a, a bad thing? And so it's a weird. Um, I still don't understand this. Like, for centuries, we would dance um, in rituals um, in. That was the only way that we would get to go to like high school dances with like with guys and girls. You would dance. That's how you meet people. Yeah. That's how you'd actually interact properly. So that's how my parents met. Yeah. At a dead at, ball. At a yeah. dead ball. At a, yeah. yeah. At, a, at a dance. Yeah. And um, anyone who doesn't know how to dance, I think that's uncool. 
Like Uh-oh. I was <laughs> yeah. no, but like I don't really know how to dance. I learned dances and stuff in in musicals that I do. But like at a nightclub or at like um, at a at a party, like everyone's dancing. Yeah. Like it's the best. It makes you feel good. Why I, I still don't understand why it's something to be bullied for when you're really yeah. good at something. Anyway, but it normally takes. I think the thing is at a nightclub. Like if you're five or six deep at that stage, yeah. then suddenly it is acceptable. But it takes a while to to. to but how great for the con- how great for the the sober person who's brave enough to yeah. do it sober. Hundred like percent true. So surely that's the yeah. thing that should be commended. Yeah, the the bullying thing for me was not not really that apparent. But I was always just trying to be friends with with everyone. I just I think I've always got along well with with everyone whether it was hanging out with the nerds because i loved like actually a little bit of like nerd stuff love reading now and love i think i've worked out that i'm actually a big nerd um my partner definitely a nerd uh <laughs> hot nerd but very <laughs> but, but massive nerd and the sporty people because i played footy throughout my whole life as well so it wasn't just singing i was playing footy and cricket and baseball i think i just got along with everyone because i Genuinely liked every, everything. You were the Zac Efron by the sounds. I was the Zac Efron from the Troy Bolton. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what Georgie calls me. Yeah. <laughs> how were you as a footballer? Just a question without notice. Are you a, uh, you're a Hawks man, aren't Hawks man. Um, in under 18s, I worked my way up. I was okay and then I just got better and better. I just worked really, really hard. Um, was training with the Oakley Chargers in oh, wow. um, under 18s yeah. and then I did my hamstring in the preseason. So I never got a game. But played um, uh, for Mulgrave that year in under 18s and we won under lights at Waverley Park against Montrose by 10 goals. It was an amazing experience. <laughs> I broke down in tears and cried. <laughs> My mate's like, are you crying? I'm like, it is the greatest like achievement. Like yeah. I not, not played in a grand final. My whole junior career, and then to get to under 18s and play it and then win it, it was no it, matter what level a grand final, a premiership is a premiership. Premiership, premiership, yeah. man. I got, yeah. it for, got it for life. Yep. Midfielder um, uh, on the wing and on the wing, yeah. back flank. Yeah, yeah, nice. I, I loved it and I still love it now. I still kick the footy. I was yeah, having cool. a kick uh, last week with my mate just on Glenferry Oval, just like summoning the gods of Hawks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, that, that's our spot too because I played at Q Footy Club. Yeah, and we still we still go and run around Glenferry. It's, what a what a spot! It's yeah, it's so gorgeous. Yeah. What are they doing with that old grandstand though? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, what's I happening? like it. I reckon it's, it's no, just. Are they tearing it down? I don't know. It just looks. Oh, you don't like it? it there. No, no, no. It just it just looks like it's it's empty. It's empty. There's like, nothing I, there. I want it to be something. Yeah. I want to buy a hot dog or you yeah, know, I want to buy a pie from there. Yeah. You know, no, that's yeah. a good call. When yeah. the AFL nines are on, when yeah. we played our one game there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the nines, great yeah. game. That's it was good. Game. Going through like your. Journey we've gone from the start. So, how did you get your first audition? So, was the and I'm talking musical theatre. Yeah, yeah. You, the, that first was the first one. Wicked, the first big show, or was it Jesus Christ Superstar? I'd say the first one that I did was Grease the Arena Spectacular. I got asked by I think GFO at the time. Um, we're putting on this big um, arena spectacular. John Farnham was in it. Um, Nat Bass, Magda Zabowski, Wow. Craig McLaughlin was playing Danny, and I got asked to play Johnny Casino. So can you just come in and sing? So you got asked. Yeah. yeah. Can you come in and audition for this? I was like, okay. And that's, I was like, oh. So I went in and sang, born to hand job, baby. <laughs> and loved it. I just was like, yeah. oh, this is this is cool. So I got the job and then I went into the, the rehearsals and I met some really incredible performers and musical theatre people and Kelly Abbey was choreographing and I was just like in awe of like everyone's like work ethic and party ethic. We would party heaps and... They introduced me to like other soundtracks that had that had come out, I think Avenue Q and We Will Rock You and uh, Wicked was just starting. So after I did that tour, I went to London and saw some shows on the West End, and I got to see these actual shows like Adam Garcia, Helen Dallimore, who are Australian actors in Wicked with Adina Menzel, and 
I was like, oh, this is Adam's doing it. I I could do that. Sure, he's been in Bootman and Cody Ugly, and he's he's killing it. But I was like, I could do that. Surely I could do that. I mean, I've just done a musical. Maybe I could do it. So I vowed basically from that day that I would try and be part of the musicals because I really liked all these musical theatre people that I've met. Like, what a really cool family. They really opened their arms to me. And so I got home from um, this sort of overseas sabbatical of like five months. I travelled and backpacked and yeah. got jobs in pubs and worked in nightclubs at a, in, in Greece. And just, oh, gee, imagine that. Yeah, It was random, mate. It was pretty <laughs> random. Um, but I had, had the best time, but also I needed that sort of escape escape time from Australia to work out who Millsy was. I think everyone had an idea of who he was. And then I had to sort of work out who is that guy. Uh, it turns out he's, he's a lover of entertainment and musical theatre. So yeah, I came home, took acting lessons, dance lessons and singing lessons and vowed to get into Wicked when it came to Australia. And then come around, I think I was hosting an up late game show on Channel 9 from like midnight till four in the morning, a couple of nights a week. <laughs> it was horrific, but also great Great to learn how to... Wait, that was live? Yeah, live. All oh. live. Oh, wow. So you just do it and you just talk to camera. So it was what? really, really good to yeah. learn those skills of communication, talking, yep. entertainment. Which game jokes. show was this? It's called The Mint Mansion. Okay. It was yep. sold to us as a up late entertainment show. It wasn't. It was just selling, 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 <laughs> selling, selling. Yeah. Okay. And getting people to call in. Yeah. And yeah, I learned so much on that, on that job. But during that time, I was still, yeah, doing all the acting stuff and trying to learn just so when the audition came around. And then sure enough, the audition came around and I put myself forward and um, had four auditions over five months to get into Wicked and wow. got the got the job. 2nd of February is still the greatest day of my life. I don't really celebrate birthdays very much because I feel like it's like, great, you just survived uh, another <laughs> year. Well done. Not that hard this day and age, but I like to celebrate the 2nd of February. It's the day that I got the keys to my very first apartment that I'd purchased with the bank. The bank, the bank bought for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, my manager came around with a bottle of champagne and she said, congratulations on the house and you've booked Wicked. And I once no again way. broke down in tears. Uh, very emotional guy. And so, yes, yeah, so <clears throat> 2nd of February is always the best day of my life. It's the day that I celebrate. It's my Wicked day because Wicked is the thing that completely changed my life. I was, I was literally, we're talking about before about the guy who's sort of carefree, just going through life. I was Fiero, like metaphorically, uh, literally, like I, I mean, without being a prince, I was just dancing through life. I was cruising, waiting for something. And then this was the purpose for me. I can never get my head around this. We're talking about it um, before you came in today. We're, we're talking about some different way, avenues we could go down. And especially in the world of musical theatre. Yeah. Like there, there must be a long period of time you're in limbo. Are, are you going to get this job? Are you not? If you do, your life changes dramatically. If you don't, well, what do you do? Yeah. And then when the shows, some of the shows, maybe not Wicked, but some of these other shows, how long are the contracts? How long are they going to last? Is it, could they just pull the plug and you're yeah. out of work? How does, how does that lifestyle go? It's terrifying. Like we are professional auditioners. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's what we do. Like we're so used to getting a no that no's don't really affect me anymore. Like, you just walk up and ask someone for something. They're like, no, like, okay, sorry. Well, like, all right, no worries. So it helps with everything else in life. <laughs> yeah, getting yeah. a no. I read this um, story about this guy who did it for a year. He just asked one or two ridiculous questions a day to people because to, he was so fearful of getting, rejection. getting rejection. Yeah. So you walk up to people and go, mate, can you just give me a lift to the airport? <laughs> <laughs> what? I didn't... I don't know you. Like a nut, <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. All right, thanks. And then wow, and was he was he going around asking like, can you put this rubbish in the bin for me? Was it this guy? Yeah, I, like, I don't know because I read something similar. Just a year, just doing a whole wow. year of being rejected, so he would get better at getting rejected because 
it's part of everyday life. You're mm. not going to get yes all the time. So yeah, it, it, like, there's ups and downs. I've been extremely fortunate, and we talked about before about being lucky. Uh, I think the the more that you practice, the luckier you get. The it's up to you to be prepared for the time when the gig does come around. So if you are ready for it, because you've done the work beforehand and during, <clears throat> you will. I'm not saying you will get the job, but you are more prepared for that luck. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, when it comes around, but yeah, I think it's a lot of luck, perseverance. Being a good company member, not being a dick, like it goes a really long way. Just like our industry is so small in Australia, do the do the job, like do your do your role when you're there. Like don't cause drama, do the gig, be personable, talk to the crew, talk to like everyone who's involved in the whole show, because mm. you are just a small cog in a very very big machine. Like you can't be seen without the swallow spot operator. Yeah. So you can't be heard without the sound person. You can't be seen with the scene if it's not the scene's not there. Like you need the props and you need the stage hands. You know, you can't be there without the ensemble doing the incredible dance numbers behind you. Like that you cannot do, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you're just a, as I said, a, a small cog in a big machine. So I think being grateful, being appreciative of the work that you've got, and doing the doing the work. And putting your hand up and asking if you don't know what to do. Put your hand up and just ask for more help. I think that's really important as well. The day-to-day life. So say Aunt and Juliet in Melbourne, what does the week look like as you know one of the leads in, in that production? And it could be as simple as because you obviously have the matinee and then probably a night as well. Yeah. What does the day-to-day look like and where's your day off in all that? So we uh, uh, Tuesday to Sunday was the, was the schedule. So it's eight shows a week. So Tuesday night when to Wednesday... Thursday night, Friday night, two Saturday, one Sunday. I think that was the schedule in Melbourne, okay. yeah. which is a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, yeah, it's a lot. Oh, no, I think it was Tuesday to Sunday, no Wednesday matinee. So that was that was our schedule. So we okay. had Monday. So one night off. Okay, one so, night off. So sometimes I just go and do trivia with some mates. And other weeks you're like, I just need to not be on. So I just need a night off. And then you're like, oh, that, that's your weekend. It's gone. Yeah. So you don't really see friends. There's a – you miss out on – uh, engagement parties and weddings on um, – I mean, this company's quite good. Like if you've got gigs or special events, they'll let you take the, the show off. Um, I've worked in shows for other companies in the past. They're like, you're not having the show off. You can't have the show off. Like, but it's going to pay me lots of money to go and do this gig or – no. So – You signed the contract. You signed a contract. This is your gig. This is your life, which is fine. And you're like, it is. I did sign that contract. And without this contract, I wouldn't have this job. So, yeah, I wouldn't have this life that I have. So uh, it's – look, it, it's three hours work a day. It's not hard, but on two show days, it's a six-hour day. Like for most people, they're still working the nine to five. They're mm-hmm. working 10, 11, 12-hour days. I've got mates who are doctors who are working 60, 70 hours a week. Like it's it's not hard to put it all into perspective. If, if ever you're like feeling tired, you're like – my brother calls it crash. He goes, "How was how was super, how was supervising and dancing today?" You know, like, so it's not it's not that hard, but you just have to maintain your health. So, like throughout the week, I'll go to the gym probably three or four times a week to keep fit, catch up with mates for coffees, uh, read something I like to do, try and spend time with my partner as much as possible. We we have this really lovely routine at the moment. Uh, we get up for walks in the morning. So uh, she doesn't have to work till 10 at the project, which is excellent, which means we can go either to the gym together and then we go for a walk and it's our way of checking in for the day or for the week. Something about the walk and a coffee together is just, I don't know, if you guys have done it before, I highly recommend it for you guys and your listeners. It's a really good way of reconnecting with your partner. 
um, walking side by side is a really great way to free up your subconscious. Um, when you're sitting face to face like this, sometimes you feel the judgment from others. I don't. It's okay. I get you guys. You're very kind, open-hearted. <laughs> Thanks, Millsy. Humans, yeah. yeah. Um, but when you're walking with your partner, yeah, sometimes you can't say the things because they're looking at you like there's something about that walk. And it, also, I recommend it with a mate who you think is having uh, going through a tough time, or maybe you're going through a tough time. Walking with a mate is the best. Like you're, it's so freeing. Your eyes are darting, darting left and right instead of. Uh, up and down at someone there's something about the that frees up your subconscious as well yeah so it's a really good way to check in with your partner on a walk because it's all right it's it's just there's something there's something really freeing about it makes total sense yeah yeah definitely that's, yeah that's that's our that's definitely one of the best routines that we've got mm. yeah i love that well so i was gonna it's interesting perspective because i was literally going to ask about burnout and you've basically just flipped that on its on its head which is really interesting do you have a dream show that you'd love or a dream role that you'd love to play one day on a, in a specific Mate, musical? Or? I've been asked this before and I am so lucky. I've done them all. <laughs> like, like, honestly, like I, w- I was like... You don't want to dress up as a cat and do cat? <laughs> <laughs> there's, too much, there's too much dance in that. <laughs> Way too much dance. I have been really lucky and I've got to play Fiero in Wicked. Jamie in the last five years was another sort of passion project of mine. Um, got to do a few years back in Sydney. Dr. Pomona probably for in Waitress is a really great role. Okay. It's a really beautiful show. The music's by Sarah Borales. I really, if that came to Australia, I would definitely work hard to audition for. So yeah, that that's probably the only one. But the the role I'm in at the moment, playing William Shakespeare and Anne Juliet, honestly, it's the it's the greatest show that's on the stage right now. If you need a good night out, you need the escapism of like of the world that we live in right now. I highly recommend it. It's the, it's the perfect antidote to, to COVID. It brings people together. It promotes joy and love and um, second chances. In a world of cancel culture, it's all about second chances and like giving love a chance and all forms of love. It, it's honestly, it's, it's the best. I, I cannot get over how awesome this show is. It's so well written. It's so funny. Like I just love being part of a show where everyone is laughing like every minute. Like there's another joke. There's another like... Being a part of laughter is oh, it's the best. You got you got yeah. that feeling, you know. Yeah. So, uh, I, I I would love to just do this forever. Like I I'm a, I'm addicted to this show. It's so great. I saw it on Mother's Day this year, and I just had the best time. And I didn't actually want to go because yeah. it was my sister. Yeah, Millsy, yuck. <laughs> no, no, because uh, well, well, my I grew up two sisters, both just mad musical theatre, just just nuts on it they just love it um wait at the stage door kind of stuff have been all the years jersey boys was the first one i think that's what got them into it and then it's a great show yeah it was amazing they i I came along and i i just i was laughing my head off like it was hilarious and there's something about i I think i even said this to you i said it to my sister walking out there's something about if it was that show but when i've gone to other shows i feel this feeling it's it almost like it takes over my emotions when I'm sitting there. Mm. And I think the last song when it's the Justin Timberlake song at the very end and then confetti goes off. And, yeah, show. and I remember like everyone's standing up and I walked out and I was my eyes were nearly watering. And I was like, I just felt this overwhelming. I said to Camille, is this okay? Like she's like, yeah. I feel it too. Yeah. You know, and it's such an uplifting show. It's yeah. this over, overarching sense of joy and love, um, which I think we sometimes bottle up or any kind of emotion. It allows you to feel... Yeah, joy at its upmost spot. Like I, I saw this interview years ago with my mate Virginia Gay. She was quoting someone. She talked about that art allows you to feel the things you didn't know you needed to feel. And good art does that, whether it's a painting, whether it's um, a stage show, a play or a musical or a concert. 
Like good art allows you to feel the things you didn't know you needed to feel. And not only that, you get to feel that en masse with other people. Mm. There's something about that collective energy, that thing that is unseen, that is untangible. You can't feel it, but it is, it's in you. It's inherent. There are some shows that do that. And as I said, I'm lucky to be a part of this one. It has that same uplifting feeling. You walk away going, I feel fantastic. I feel bloody good. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, well, I, I know you've crafted this. Damn you, because I feel amazing. <laughs> yeah, like that's how I felt. I was like, they've got me. <laughs> yeah, but also, they do it authentically. Yeah, there's no tricks. Nah. It's just done really well. I, I think I know why. Like the music of Max Martin, he's such a. Which I had no idea. Like, really? No. Like I was gobsmacked at just the amount of songs in that entire set. I was like, he wrote all those songs. Yeah, he's Shakespeare. Like he's, mo- he's, mo- he's modern day Shakespeare. So yeah. He's written everything for Britney Spears, Taylor Swift, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Katy Perry, Demi Lovato. Even when he was Pink? here, was that Pink? Pink? Yeah. yeah. Um, even when he was he was here, he's like he's still working, still writing. He's like, can I, can I bring one of my friends over? We're like, yeah, sure, man. He brings Ed Sheeran on stage, and then <sighs> he, and one night, and then we're like, oh, hey, Ed. He's like, yeah, we've just been writing together the last couple of days. Like, okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> so he's still still working, still producing. Amazing. Um, and I think that kind of work, I think that energy, that authenticity. I went out with him for a few drinks a couple of times. I just, he's Swedish Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah. he's, he's like this, he's like yeah. this yeah. super cool, like nothing really phases him. He told me about this story of like young producers that come through um, in America and they get these big hits and they just buy all these big cars and they spend on the money. He goes, do you know what I'm doing? I'm back in the studio the next day. Mm. I'm just back in there, just working. And there's something about his work ethic and also the people all the people that are involved in the show the, the musical producer who I love Bill Sherman he worked on Hamilton uh, he's like the head guy at uh, Sesame Street he's just like an absolute legend wow. like he's so so cool but also super down to earth and funny yeah. and so ev- that whole energy sort of permeates down the down the ranks so yeah you're only as good as I think your your weakest link or the you know the boss if the boss is a cool boss it sort of so it trickles down, and yeah, we're just really lucky in the show. And and David West Reed, who wrote um, Shit's Creek, one of the writers, okay. it, yeah. it it has that same kind of. It sits. It doesn't sit in earnestness for too long. The show. It, if it's it's too earnest, like where's it go? There's a there's a joke. Mm. There's a gag. Yeah. We're moving on. Yeah, yeah. Joke after joke. Bang bang. Yeah. yeah. Was but very then also right. like it still gets you in the heart when it needs to. But then yeah. it moves on with. Um, a joke or something else, and we move on really quickly. It's 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 brilliant. It's brilliant. And it's going to Perth. Go to Perth end of the year, and then we go to Sydney. So we've got five or six weeks, I think, in Perth, and then five months, I think, wow. I think we're going to be in Sydney. So that's going to be interesting for yeah. Georgie and I. But I think she's going to come up, and we'll just do. She's going to fly back and forth for, yeah, her, cool. for her job. So okay. we're very lucky at the moment. Yeah. So in a real purple patch of life and work, and life is excellent. Well, that's you, awesome. So you lived in Sydney the last six months before coming uh, back to Melbourne. Is that what you said? You were in Sydney for quite yeah, a few months. Yeah. So Georgie and I moved up. We were, she got a job up there working for the Dark Lord Murdoch's new show. Uh, <laughs> the Dark Lord. <laughs> the, Dark, the, Dark, the Dark Lord's new, new news platform called Flash. Yeah. Oh, the Dark Lord. That's fine. Um, and then she got a job offered uh, at the project. So she, cool. we, we came back and she took the job on the project. So Sydney and Melbourne, living there for a bit, what, what are the, the differences? What do you love? What do you don't like? You know, uh, you're a Melbourne boy, so. Mate, I love them both for different reasons. Yeah. I, if you're a Melbourneite and you've moved to Sydney, you're going to love it because the beaches are amazing and the, um, it's easy to find good humans, authentic people because they really stick out. Mm. Like, uh, most of my friends that I have up in Sydney are from the country or from Queensland, <laughs> from Melbourne. I don't know that many people who just grew up in Sydney. I don't know why that is, but uh, there's something about expat kind of thing. You just find your 
find your people, find your tribe. Um, I think the people who are from the country that have moved in, they're just like, oh my God, this place is amazing. We just don't take it for granted. I, I love Sydney for the, for the beaches, for the, the coastline, for some of the beautiful restaurants and whatever, but oh, I've got some yeah, really good friends up there. But there's something about Melbourne being the got a lot more middle class in Melbourne, so it doesn't really matter where you're from. You all, we all just get along because mm. we're all roughly earning about the same amount. There's no like, there's less discrepancy, I think, when it comes to money and wealth. There still is, like, don't get me wrong, but like the majority of us sort of sit in this sort of middle ground stuff. Also, in your location where you are, everything looks the same-ish. Like in Sydney, like. There are some beautiful places like Vaucluse and like any of the beaches. Like in Melbourne, it's just, oh, there's a bit hillier. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, true. You know, like you've got, oh, you've got a train towards you. Like that's, there, there yeah. aren't many geographical kind of differences. Like in every sort of area, there's a really cool streets with restaurants and bars in every kind of area that we all want to, mm. that we all want to try out. Yeah. Anyway, that's, you, that, they're the differences I, I reckon, but basically... Melbourne's better because it's yeah. got the footy. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always, always yeah, thought too. too. You mentioned Ed Sheeran. We had a guy on our show when we took the show to London. He was in West End. His name's Ryan Hutton. And he told us a great story where um, he was clued in five minutes before the show that Ricky Gervais was in the audience. So and what was the show? Uh, the show was Only Fools and Horses, which is, uh, oh, yeah, I don't yeah. know if you know yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Del he was, yeah. He was, yeah. Well, he, he played Rodney. So, oh, great. Uh, but the actor who played Del Boy, he was pretty close mates with Ricky Gervais through Afterlife. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so they're clued in five minutes before the show, Ricky Gervais in the audience. They're going to put him in a seat, and with his uh, well-known laugh, he, every joke that they said, it, they, they, he panicked. So every time a joke, he said a joke, he would he would literally corner of his eye, look, and he could hear, and he and he basically okay, that was executed, that wasn't executed. I made Ricky Gervais laugh. Oh, he hates it. He hates it. Have you ever had an experience like that where somebody is in the audience that you know of, maybe you looked up to him or somebody you met, and it's just giving you that extra little bit of oomph before the show started. I don't like to know if any of my mates are in and, okay. I, and I will never tell my friends if I'm in the audience until after. Okay. And then some of them will go, oh, you didn't tell me. I'm like, why, why should it matter? Like, why should it matter if, if I'm in or not? Or um, I don't know. No, I, no. Not, so not, it's your friends that would intimidate you the most, potentially? Friends and peers, definitely, because okay. I want to do a good job. I, for a celebrity, I don't. Don't really care because yeah. I don't know them. They don't know me, so it doesn't really that doesn't really matter. But yeah, my peers definitely. Um, but I don't really get nervous once I'm in the in the thing. I'm I'm in it. Like yeah. I still have the the initial nerves of the first couple of shows, the first couple of weeks. Like I'll definitely get nervous when we go back to Perth and we haven't done it for eight nine weeks. Um, it's been yeah, it's been it'll be that long since we did it in Singapore. But no, I'm I like to stay in the thing. I like to yeah. stay in the show. Like. And I get to work with my mate Amy La Palmer in this show, and she's so funny and so 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 quick, so quick witted um, that we're constantly having to banter each other. So yeah, no, I I never I never really worry about what's happening in the audience. Even when like sometimes young kids are like oh they're just they're not they're not really vibing with us. I'm like so like are you having a good time? Like we can only yeah. do what we can do on we can only do what we can do on the stage. That's all you can do. Control the things that you can control. That's it. Yeah. Control the controllables. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. That's all you can do. Surely something's gone wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's been a moment, whether it's backstage or a microphone's not working or a, a, you know, a dress malfunction where you're meant to get changed quickly and it's not on time. Have you got a little, uh, a little tidbit or a story that maybe th- that you have always remembered? But, and it could be and Juliet, it could be any other show. It could even be Idol, I don't know. But have you got maybe a little gem that you could give us that you go, geez, I'll never forget that. That was, that was shocking. 
I forgot my I forgot a line on my very last show on Wicked, which is not the worst thing. But I literally stood there just staring at my friend Gemma Ricks and just had no idea what the line was. I was like, I nothing, just a full blank. I think I was like, maybe I need some milk. Like I don't I don't know. Like at home, like no, I was, I, I was like, I just went completely blank. So she wow. just said her next line and I said, thank you. And then we just moved on. Which the thank you doesn't make any sense at all. Like you should never say thank you <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like in a big musical. <laughs> yeah. But it was my last show. I'm like, what are we going to do? Um, Isn't it weird that it was your last show though? So That's weird. weird. Yep. I'd never forgotten a line until that very last show. I, I fluffed a couple like notes and stuff like, oh, my voice is cracked. I'm like, oh God. Um, end of summer, summer nights during Greece, the audience would always sing, but they would always sing it not that note, and because there's no music underneath, they were like, no, I'm like, no, and I had to pitch the note off whatever, off the crowd, like, oh no, I'm well off, I'm so off, and I had to pick the harmony. I'm like, oh, I'm so off, I'm so off, I'm so sorry. So that's that's hard. There was a, there was really a lot hard. of there was a lot of fun ones, a lot of um, shoulders moving up and down from the boys, like, <laughs> yeah, um, then. My very first kind of musical before Wicked, I should say, I, I did Hair the Musical over in Perth. So that was like a, it was 2007 when I got back from, from overseas and it was like a pro-am production of Hair. It's a small theatre, the Regal in Subiaco, beautiful old theatre and everyone got nude in Hair. Everyone gets nude. It's like the 60s psychedelic kind of war musical. And at the end of Act One, everyone drops their clothes and they stand there, and it's a very powerful moment. It's wow. back, it's backlit, but it's like here we are, we're human, we're all human together. It's a beautiful moment and very risque for the for the time back in the seventies. I think it was written the sixties, seventies. And at the end of the show, I sing this big note. That's me, that's me. <laughs> and the director's like. All right, so you're going to be up on the scaffold, your pants are on, and you're going to have a target painted on your chest. So no top, just a just a target painted on you. I want you to just take your pants off in that moment and that note. <laughs> that's me, that's me. So here's me in the dress rehearsal. I'm like, I can do this. You can do this. Just you and nude. You're just going to be nude. So, t- so there's no, totally nude. no sock. Wow. No. No. So here's me just undoing the buckle, undoing the wow. pants. That's me. T- take the pants down. I forgot to tape the mic pack. To the back of my back. So it's oh, now, it's so it's one of those DPA, you know, one of those Madonna yeah. microphones. And that's now swinging behind me. Oh, oh no. Sing. <laughs> With your junk out. Like, I'm nude. The microphone is swinging. The pack is swinging behind me like this. And I'm like, I'm trying to hold the note, but it's like holding me back. Oh my God. Anyway, then I'm like, I'm going to walk backwards. I'm like, I've got to get down the stairs. I've got my pants around my ankles. How do I get down the scaffold? How do I get down, this, how do I get down the ladder? So anyway, I turn around and I go to pull up my pants. The spotlight is still on me. Oh. And I, so I mooned the whole audience as well. It's pretty funny. After the show, I'm pretty mortified, obviously. Uh, Just the bending over. Because you can tell the light is still on, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I'll dim the lights. They'll dim it. They didn't, they didn't dim it. But I was like, I have to take my pants up. Um, the director said to me afterwards, he said, yeah, you can probably just get the pants on. Just get, yeah, <laughs> get, yeah get, the, get the pants on. I was like, oh. okay, thanks, mate. So I didn't have to do it after oh. the dresser has That's gold. That is yeah. so funny. I love that. I was going to, this is a really random question. I don't know. Did you ever watch the show Friends? Were you ever into Friends? Yeah. 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 yeah so there's a, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know why this even came to me, but there's a, there's an episode with Joey being on the stage. I think it's Joey. No, it's someone, Chandler's girlfriend, I think. And she, oh, that's right. And she's a, she's a, in musical or, yeah. or some kind of drama or play and her and the lead 
uh, they have to kiss on stage and he gets a little bit jealous and, yep. and then they form a little bit of a relationship. When you have roles where you have to be intimate on stage with somebody, how do you, how does your partner now or even previous partners, how have you dealt with that? Is there any jealousy? Is it just, it's just work? Is just, there any, just work. No problems? Yeah. Uh, it's the whole thing is, it's always, you're always friends. So yeah. like, um, Gemma Ricks and I in, I suppose we had to, to kiss in Wicked and then we did Ghost the musical together. Yep. And that was... Well, that's uh, a bit more intimate. Very, like the, yeah, the, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. All that, all the, all that the hand pot- stuff. All the pottery stuff. Also, there's the the pash that we have at the start. Well, it's a pash, but it's a, a, a passionate kiss. You need to sort of set up your relationship as being one of like a newlyweds, right? So you're like, oh, newlyweds, go for it a bit, you know? But we don't really go for it. It's sort of, it's all acting. The, this day and age is so much better. We have intimacy coaches that come in. I remember doing Neighbours a few years ago. I had to have a uh, a sex scene with Bonnie Anderson and Jodie Gordon. And in my head, I was picturing Jodie instead of Bonnie as my character Finn Kelly was picturing both both women. Okay. Um, so we had an intimacy coach to come in to talk wow. about... Because there's two girls there riding, riding me and then I throw them over and then like... I'm, yeah. It's full simulated yeah. Jeez, sex. Neighbours, where are we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was like an... Ex, it was like an okay, it, it was, was like uncut. A, yeah, yeah, it was uncut. It was an up-late version of yeah. Neighbours we did for a week. Highly recommend you guys check it out. It's very... It's very, it's <laughs> I, think, very I think we might now, yeah. <laughs> um, I, get, I get nude. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like you get nude a lot. I get, nude, work. I, get, yeah. I get nude a lot. And having an intimacy coach uh, was so good and it's so good now because you talk through what you're comfortable with where you, would you like your hand? Is it okay if I touch you here? Is it like it's all above board? You talk about you choreograph it basically the scene, so it's not. It must be difficult. Uh, I think it makes the scene so much better because yeah. it feels because you know what you're doing. It's almost like you're learning lines, but you're learning cho- yeah choreography. Yeah, gotcha. So, yeah, so then I'm going to touch your neck. Then and then is it okay if I touch you here? They're like, yep, that's fine. Even when I did Dancing with the Stars, I said to my dancer, "Hey, before we start, I'm just going to let you know I would feel." comfortable you touching me everywhere except for my crutch and groin area i understand in dance you'll have to grab my bum sometimes she's like she's like yeah why are we doing this i'm like just so you you you're clear with my boundaries i have a fiance and i want you to know that i want this dance to be if it's a sexy dance to be as sexy as possible but like there is yeah there's a limit yeah there's a a limit like and she's like i said can i ask where where you feel comfortable she's like i feel comfortable everywhere so go for it so like (laughs) great (laughs) yeah no so that's like having but even just having that initial conversation yeah it makes makes a big difference it makes a huge difference and for some reason like why was this never thought of many years ago and then there is no gray area it gets rid of the blurred lines or and whenever something doesn't feel comfortable with someone, just put your hand up and say, I don't feel comfortable doing this anymore. Mm. And that's okay. Like you should never feel um, uncomfortable to, to, to not speak yeah. up. So yeah, my partner's always been totally fine with it. As I said, I've always been super transparent and super above board with, it's just, a, we're acting. Yeah, of course. It's, it's, it's the work. Yeah. That's not to say that there isn't emotional baggage that goes with it. In the the beginning of rehearsing for, for and, and Juliet, I don't want to ruin the story, but there's a breakup energy that happens between Will and Anne, uh, Shakespeare and his partner, that he's not listening to her and she is constantly like um, on him. And towards the end, she's trying to break up with him. And when you're rehearsing that scene towards the end of the rehearsal period, because it's one of the last scenes, like a week lo- long of someone trying to break up with you. Yeah, okay. I was said, like, I'm crying in like at work. And I came home and said to my partner, I got so much breakup energy. She's like, do you want to break up with me? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't. But like, it, you've got yeah. to make it feel real. You've got to make it 
somehow. And then it's so interesting. Yeah. What's it, it called? Is that called method? Is that what they call method acting? Uh, oh no! What's it called? Where you where you literally almost subs- try and live you're subs- that? You're substituting yeah. that that feeling, that energy. As I said, it, you're, you're still you're still acting, but it still goes somewhere. That feeling has to go. Take somewhere. it home with you. Yeah. yeah. So you've as an actor, you find a way to put it in a box and. For for a little while during rehearsals, I was or mm. at the show, I was putting in. I had a box, and I at the end of the night, I put in a box, like nothing, but like it was like a way to just. All right, there he goes. Thanks for a good night, Shakespeare. <laughs> gotta go. Gotta go home. Now it's fine because it's completely separate. But like in the very beginning, when you're looking at someone and they're giving you that energy and they're crying and they're like you're empathetic and you're a compassionate human if you're a psychopath uh, you probably don't feel anything but like as an empathetic human you feel that energy coming mm. at you it goes it has to go somewhere that's super interesting yeah in regards to like you, you mentioned was it intimacy coach is that what it was yeah so I'm just picturing and it's horrible just because I remember watching the SAS show and Craig McLaughlin was on it yeah. and and he's gone through all of that stuff with Rocky Horror is that something that's only kind of been introduced in the last couple of years in these shows because of all of that that happened with that show? And I don't know the details, and but with the, with the actual you saying the permission aspect, like can I touch you here, can I touch you there? Is that only kind of something that's been introduced with the coaching in the last, say, few years? No, that's – so I finished Neighbours 2019, so the five okay. years ago. Yeah. Maybe – so I'll probably say six, seven years ago possibly. Yeah. And as far as the Craig stuff goes, mate. Yeah, we don't have to touch on that. It's yeah. disgusting. Like, yeah. What he did was like the worst. Like yeah. it was to- was told no and then kept going. So like that's as far as him still trying to be a victim, sorry, mate. You, you got to put your hand up and say I was in the wrong. Mm. And he's refused to do that. And I am just so, yeah, sad for him. Sad for the the situation for everyone involved. It's like it's like yeah. I I'm so just dis- I'm just so disappointed that it's um, that that has transpired. Like mm. that he has not put his hand up and said, "I got this wrong, and I'm really sorry." Doesn't take much to say sorry. Doesn't. And for the the harm that he's caused the the, the other people, yeah, it's it's mm. horrific. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, it's. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, just as we sort of come towards an end, we're talking off air and we said we'd like to bring this up kind of some point on the podcast. The celebrity aspect of being a celebrity, and I know that's probably a weird way to phrase See, it, yep. but but we'll, just to bring the listeners in, we're talking off air about uh, things like uh, like Cameo, for example, these sort of paid subscription or paid work to get in contact with a celebrity or somebody you look up to, pay them for a minute of their time to, to talk and be themselves and give somebody some kind of present. Can you talk about how you feel about that within yourself? Because you said you've purposely stayed away from that subscription-based content, so yeah. to speak, to because you're more authentic. You'd rather interact with fans that are, have genuine questions to ask rather than just trying to be your friend because you're Rob Mills. Yeah. Can you talk to us about how you feel around all that? Yeah, I, I just I always thought I don't I, and I each each to their own. Um, absolutely, if you if this is a if this is how you earn money then they go for it but for me I'm like I'd much rather just try and get a job and do do a show or work or do a gig or I think in my brain I'm just I would much rather receive something from someone who genuinely wants to give you the thing instead of paying for the thing mm. it doesn't feel like it's an authentic kind of thing that's a, this is how I yeah yeah and uh, so if someone says can you do a video message for a, a friend's birthday I'm like sure no worries. I'll mm. just do that. I've got the time. I'll do it. Other times I may have missed it and I haven't haven't done it. But 
I don't want to take money. F- I don't know. I, this is how I feel about it. Because for some people, like, well, I should get paid for doing. I'm actually doing a service. But if you, it's it's kind of an, yeah, it's an authentic thing for me. Like, yeah. if it's, do you genuinely want to wish someone a happy birthday, or you're just doing it for money? So mm, like, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We, we should. I was going to say I should have quickly got my phone. We got up. Who, who's the most expensive out there? Probably Snoop Dogg or something. You know, like <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's like said, it's, there's it, some outrageous prices for yeah. some. <laughs> I just yeah. I just don't subscribe to it. It's just that's not for yeah. me. Yeah, it's just how I feel about things. So, mm. but yeah, if you're a um, a stand-up comedian and they want you to write a, a bit for it, I'm like hilarious. Absolutely, absolutely should get paid to write a bit and do something funny, um, but. As far as I'm concerned, for me, it, it just it doesn't feel right mm. for me. So, I guess probably the final question: Twenty years since that, you, you put a post up this week about the twenty years since the Australian Idol, and even mm. the, the song with it was "Guys, Angels Brought Me Here," which oh, I yeah, yeah. I love that as well. And you were holding the what are those cameras called, by the way? Those, uh, it's the, the three sixty. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah, but and it, it's such a monumental moment that that you, and you mentioned that in the in the description and the copy of that post. But did you think? your life would be what it is today 20 years ago when you started on Idol and and are you proud of, super proud of where you're at? Yeah, I am. I am super proud. I'm super proud of the initial just taking the taking the plunge and going on a show and auditioning for something that you had no idea about. Um, for, you know, I'm, there's some, some, bad, some bad things. That's not bad things I did, but I, it's a, a blackout period of my life where I was just drinking and not really caring about what I was doing. Proud that I found the thing, found this um, creative outlet in musical theatre that I really love and enjoy and love being a part of this storytelling world. Um, uh, proud that I get to then get to do podcasts or I get to like talk to kids in these workshops that I do and pass down some wisdom that I've, that I've learned. Um, proud that I get to meet so many incredible and interesting people. I've got to travel the world and sing and perform and see incredible things but yeah mate I think when I was 21 I was very happy and content just singing in pubs and to be honest I could probably just sing in a pub now and still be really happy as well yeah. which is probably what I'll end up doing <laughs> next year after <laughs> and Juliet finishes like what are you doing I'm just going to sing in a pub well let yeah. us know if there's a surprise gig we'd love to come yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> great, great, great. I do I do miss those gigs they're really fun yeah I'm wrapped and I'm, I'm wrapped for you know everyone involved in that very first production of the show and I think everyone we're we're so lucky to to still be here, but I think it, it comes down to the the initial sort of launching pad or that that we had. But then to you've got to still do the work, yeah. So I'm I'm proud of myself for for doing the work professionally and um and personally. Like whether it's all the work I've done with my psych, uh, whether it's work I've done with my friends and um and just on myself. Yeah, mm. it's 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 super super important to keep doing the work. Yeah. Well, we also want to quickly just touch on your book, but before we do, I got one quick question. Yeah. Andrew G or Osher and uh, James Matheson, what a dynamic duo! Is, is that is that is that the, the greatest? greatest? <laughs> we we still talk well, about we're like they were. I was gonna say very good, but you boys. Oh, stop it! Stop it! Very good. Oh, I know you're fishing. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, we were. Yeah, uh, we just we just love those two. But can you talk to us a little bit about uh, your book? Tell us how we can get a copy and and give us a bit of a description of of what it is because it's not an autobiography. Yeah, so uh, a few years ago, I wrote an article during COVID about uh, drinking culture and my relationship with alcohol. A publisher reached out, a firm press, and they said, this is, this is very good writing. We really like this. This is We saw it in The Age and got really good response. Um, would you be interested in writing some more about this? 
So I've always been fascinated with identity, um, the identity of this country. I thought that was too big of a, a topic to tackle, but I, I thought I could tackle the identity of the the Aussie, the modern Aussie man. Uh, we live living in a post Me Too world. What does that look like? Mm. Um, where does where does the bloke where's the where does the modern Aussie bloke see himself? I wanted to talk about the archetypes that have existed in this country, the Jackie Howe wearing sheep shearing bloke, the Bondi beach blonde surfer guy, the, the suit wearing suitcase guy. Like they're really strong archetypes that we have in Australia back in the 60s and 70s and they just don't really exist anymore. So what does he look like? So in order for me to sort of do that, I needed to do a lot of research. So I wanted to interview people Similar to um, Lee Sales um, in her book, Any, Any Ordinary Day, she interviewed a bunch of people. They were The people she interviewed were going through traumatic circumstances. But it was her reflecting on these interviews. And it's like, I would love the book to have that same sort of arc to it. Or as a reader, you're learning along with me. So we're all learning together. So we're reflecting. I'm reflecting on the interviews. I'm also reflecting on my life. So we're all learning together, um, which... I think we definitely achieved um, with the help of Paul Connolly, who helped me um, was my ghostwriter on the on the book. He's so so amazing in helping me craft the the things that I wanted to get out of each interview. So people like uh, Professor Jane Perkis, she's the head of male masculinity and suicide at, at Melbourne University. Pat McGorry, who headed up the uh, Royal Commission into Mental Health here in Victoria, he heads up Headspace, uh, which could do incredible work for for youth around the country. Mm. Um, Dr. Zach Seidler, he's a psychologist for. Movember, an ex-military sniper named Macca, um, Kirk Docker, who started You Can't Ask That. I thought he's interviewed every type of Australian like that there is, so he's perfect to talk to. Jamila Rizvi, who was, was the editor at Mamma Mia at some stage. I think she will be our next – well, one day will be a, uh, a prime minister of this country. I just love her so much. Yeah. Anyway, a sexologist named Georgia Grace. Um, there's so many great, interesting people that I talk to that offer some really incredible sound advice and sage advice. But yeah, I, I think we the thing I learned the most was there is no archetype anymore. And this bloke who is we're still holding on to this stoicism, which I think is super important. But what's also important is to learn to be vulnerable at the same time, is to learn to use those a varying degree or a varying spectrum of emotions, use that sliding scale. So be strong when we need to be strong, but also be vulnerable when we need to be vulnerable. Have those chats with the, the people that are closest to us. Find ways to build trust so you can have those conversations. Um, don't lose the banter. The banter is super important for blokes to, to connect with one another, yeah. not just blokes. I'm generalizing yeah. here, but like, but then use that banter and then to, to flow into a more vulnerable chat. With it, without those vulnerable chats, we're just having um, surface level conversations and the things that are most unsaid or the, the things that are most hurtful don't, don't, don't get said, don't get shared. Mm. Yeah, for blokes, I found that we, 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 struggle, we struggle with opening up. We don't want to burden other people. And it's really, it's really silly because uh, you know, problem, problem, problem shared is a problem halved. Mm. So the more that we can have these conversations with each other, not all the time we'll get, we'll get compassion fatigue. It was, it's, we get exhausted <laughs> from it, but you still need to mm. have this conversation with your partner, with your brother, with your parents or whatever it is in order to realize that you're not alone in it and that it's going to be okay. But if you just try and hold it all to yourself, it just gets too much, mate. The, the damn wall breaks and uh, it all becomes too much. Yeah. So as I said, it's, it's a bit of a biography, a bit of self-reflection on um, the men that sort of raised me as well, whether it's my brother and my stepdad, my, my dad, um, and those relationships and the important ones and the things that you can learn from the people around you. Awesome. It's powerful. It's really powerful. Thanks, and, and it's needed. 
Millsy, just personally from both of us, just thank you. Thanks for taking the time. Like, you'll walk away. We'll probably have a big hug and we'll go, heck, it was that? Uh, Love a hug. That's uh, that's what we'll do. And we'll probably talk about this for a long time. So thank you for your time. But thank you for being so open. Thanks. And yeah, you're doing, you're amazing and you've done amazing things. And Go and see Juliet, D. That's uh, oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sold. Mate, I might have to go to Sydney. You come to Sydney. You come yeah, to Sydney. all right. Well, we do have. We yeah. need to go to Sydney, actually. That, that so. felt very Australian Idol. You come yeah. to Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> do I get the Australian Idol service? Please, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Thanks Millsy. Millsy. Really Thanks, appreciate guys. it. Thank you. Keep doing, keep doing the good work. Thanks, mate. D, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, D? It's at DawsonD underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode.